Hello and welcome to episode two of the PS Plus, a Living Faith Bible Institute podcast that serves as a companion to another podcast called The Postscript. Now on that podcast, pastor and host Brandon Briscoe each week will be speaking with other pastors and professors from the Living Faith Bible Institute on a wide array of subjects. Here on this podcast, the PS Plus, we'll take a look at some of the topics that are being discussed and we'll dive in a little bit deeper. This week, Pastor Brandon is speaking with Pastor Alan Shelby of Harvest Baptist Church on the charismatic movement and charismatic theology, and that's where we're going to continue our discussion today. So let's get started. Now, in our previous episode, we looked at two movements in the charismatic realm, both Bethel Church and Lifestyle Christianity, as examples of some of the popular ideas and practices within the charismatic realm. This week, we're going to be taking a look at some of the ways in which the charismatic movements interpret scripture. We're going to be taking a look at hermeneutics, and we'll do this from the vantage point of a particular organization, the International House of Prayer. Now, for those of you that may not be familiar, the International House of Prayer, or IHOP, was started in 1999 and essentially, in their minds, functions as a prayer initiative. From their website, their mission statement is, The IHOP KC community exists to partner in the Great Commission by advancing 24-7 prayer and proclaiming the beauty of Jesus and his glorious return. So while this episode isn't meant to go extensively into IHOP's background, it is important to know a couple of more things about them mainly that they're continuationists in their viewpoint of the gifts of the Spirit. Now, right now, Pastor Allen is doing a great job of explaining kind of two sides of an argument regarding spiritual gifts, either being a continuationist, meaning that someone believes that from the day of Pentecost until now, the sign gifts of the Holy Spirit, meaning things like words of knowledge, words of wisdom, uh, healing and miracles, that those persist and continue until the present day, Versus cessationists would believe that essentially those gifts have at some point ceased. And again, Pastor Allen does a great job of presenting some scriptural evidence of why that is the case. If you haven't listened to that podcast yet, then what are you doing here? Go back and listen to that immediately and then come back and listen to this one. Now, our focus today is going to be on how it is that the charismatic movement through the lens of IHOP is interpreting scripture. And in order to do that, we're going to be talking about something from IHOP's perspective called a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Now, one of the things that I want to be very clear about is that from the viewpoint of this podcast, this is not something that we're aligned with, but I'm going to give you kind of a working definition of what a manifestation of the Holy Spirit is. Essentially, it's an observable demonstrative action or physical movement that happens as a result of the Holy Spirit's presence. And in IHOP's teaching, of which many of which are online, and that's where we're pulling a lot of our source material, you can essentially find a list of different manifestations as they've been observed in scripture and a biblical viewpoint in their perspective as to why those manifestations are valid. Now, there are a lot of those manifestations that we could look at and try and understand why IHOP believes that these are scriptural, but there's one in particular that we're gonna focus on, which is being drunk in the spirit. Now, according to some of Mike Bickle's teaching material, he would define being drunk in the Spirit as this. Those who are filled with the Holy Spirit appeared as drunk to people who did not understand. Many have reportedly been, quote, drunk in the Spirit as they appeared inebriated, staggered, laughed, uncontrollably spoke with slurred speech. I'm speaking with slurred speech, trying to quote this, and had a dizzy look in their eyes. 
Now, what Mike Bickle is going to cite as a biblical source for why this is valid is Acts 2.15. And rather than just read that verse isolated, let's use a biblical key of Bible study by looking at the context of the verse. So let's turn to Acts 2. Now, for those of you that may be unfamiliar with this part of the story in Acts, this is when the day of Pentecost has happened and the Holy Spirit descends. Let's go ahead and read, starting in verse 4. And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. And there were dwelling at Jerusalem Jews, devout men out of every nation under heaven. Now, when this was noised abroad, the multitude came together and were confounded because that every man heard them speak in his own language. And they were all amazed and marveled, saying one to another, Behold, are not all these which speak Galileans? And how hear we every man in our own tongue wherein we were born? So this is a miracle that's happened. There are men that did not otherwise know these various languages that are now speaking in these languages. And we'll see exactly what they're saying here shortly. Taking a look at verse 9, it says, Parthians and Medes and Elamites and the dwellers in Mesopotamia and in Judea and Cappadocia and Pontus and Asia and Phrygia and Pamphylia and Egypt and in the parts of Libya about Cyrene and strangers of Rome, Jews and proselytes, Cretes and Arabians, we do hear them speak in our tongues the wonderful works of God. And they were all amazed and were in doubt, saying one to another, What meaneth this? But verse 13 is the key here. Others mocking said, these men are full of new wine. Notice men that are mocking this amazing thing that has happened by virtue of the Holy Spirit descending and empowering believers to praise God in the native tongues of other individuals. They mock this action. Verse 14 says, but Peter standing up with the 11 lifted up his voice and said unto them, ye men of Judea and all ye that dwell at Jerusalem, be this known unto you and hearken to my words, for these are not drunken, as you suppose, seeing it is but the third hour of the day. So when we take a look at the context of the passage, what we see very clearly is that scripture does not say in any way, shape, or form that these men are drunk, but rather it says in verse 13 that being drunk is an insult that's lobbied against them by the men that were mocking. Now, according to Mike Bickle, looking back at his quote, he's saying that these men appear drunk. But again, scripture just does not support that. Now, in another defense of being drunk in the spirit, Mike Bickle would say this, quote, They were probably overwhelmed by the manifest presence of the Holy Spirit's joy. It is consistent with the nature of God to use something as simple and profound as joy and its effects upon his people to get the attention of burned out, bored, and hardened unbelievers. The account in Acts 2 is not just a historical account of what happened in Jerusalem in the first century. It is a divine revelation of what occurs when the fullness of the Holy Spirit descends on people. Now, the problem with this statement is that it's not just conjecture. It's not supported by scripture in any way. Mike Bickle is giving us his opinion of why this would happen. But again, we cannot find evidence for that in Acts 2. Now, here's what we can find evidence for all throughout the Bible, which brings us to another key principle when we're studying the Bible. We need to compare Scripture with Scripture. That's a principle that is derived from 1 Corinthians chapter 2. Let's look at what Scripture says about being drunk. Ephesians 5.18, And be not drunk with wine wherein is excess, but be filled with the Spirit. 1 Peter 5.8, Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary the devil as a roaring lion walketh about, seeking whom he may devour. Titus 1, 7 and 8, for a bishop must be blameless as a steward of God, not self-willed, not soon angry, not given to wine, no striker, not given to filthy lucre, 
but a lover of hospitality, a lover of good men, sober, just, holy, temperate. 1 Thessalonians 5.8, But let us who are of the day be sober, putting on the breastplate of faith and love and for an helmet of the hope of salvation. We see very clearly here, Scripture constantly admonishes us to sobriety, never, never to be drunk. Another thing that we have to take into account is a statement that Mike Bickle says to kind of qualify the manifestations of the Spirit. And this is really where the wheels fall off the wagon, in my opinion. So this is from a talk that he gave about the different manifestations of the Holy Spirit. And here's what he said, quote, I've had students say, some of this seems fake. I go, it is. They go, what? I go, most of it's fake. They go, what do you mean? I said, I've been watching this 40 years. Most places that I've been, the majority of the manifestations are not caused by the Holy Spirit. They go, really? But I said, but the problem is, it's not all fake, and the genuine is in our midst, and I will allow a whole lot of hamburger helper to allow the genuine to take place. So let's take this logic and apply it to a completely different situation. Let's imagine that you were to walk into a restaurant, your favorite restaurant, whatever that is. I think right now, well, I think right now the answer is gumbo, but that's not a restaurant. That's just my mom's cooking because it's really good. But let's say that you walked into your favorite restaurant, and as you sit down, the person that's serving you comes up and says, hey, just so you know, just about, I don't know, most of the food that we're going to serve you is fake. But man, the part of the food that's real, it's actually really real and really good. If you didn't leave that place running, you'd probably be a fool. I think that our spiritual food is way more important than our physical food. And so why is it that this is a valid excuse? Most of the manifestations of the Holy Spirit are fake, but the ones that are real are really real. That logic just doesn't work itself out. So what's the reason that we see some of this type of interpretation of Scripture? Well, I think we've seen a couple of the key reasons. One of the things is that we have to remember to look at the Bible in its context. We can't just take a single verse and build a doctrine off of it. We have to make sure that whatever we think that we're coming to as far as a conclusion about a particular verse, that the context is actually talking about that thing. And the second thing that we need to make sure that we do is simply compare Scripture with Scripture. And that's what we did today. So I want to thank you so much for joining us on another episode of the PS Plus. Again, this podcast is a production of the Living Faith Bible Institute. So if you have questions about LFBI, I'd encourage you to visit lfbi.org. A couple of things to know about LFBI. There is actually a class on biblical hermeneutics. It's taught by Pastor Greg Axe, and it is great. Another resource that will be helpful for you is a book published by Mark Trotter called The Keys to Bible Study. Both of those will give you way more information about some of these principles that we looked at. It's been my pleasure to be with you. God bless, and we'll talk to you next time.